Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey, Mountain Park family, it is great to be with you again. We are about to dive back into the book of Ephesians. This is week 22 or part 22, however you want to say it. Uh, My name is Andrew, and if you're just joining us or visiting with us, we've been tracking with Paul in the book of Ephesians for like a few months now. And uh, hey, we don't know when this is going to end, but we're just working through verse by verse Uh, We just came out of a whole series on prayer. If you want to listen to that or watch that, you can go onto our YouTube channel or onto our website and catch up on all of that. But today we're stepping back into Ephesians chapter 3, and we're actually going to talk through really quickly Paul's prayer as he begins to turn a corner in this book in the context of his relationship with the Christians in Ephesus. So before we do that, I'm just gonna pray really quickly. And so I just wanna invite you to do that with me. Father, we just humble ourselves before you and we just declare Jesus, your Lordship and authority over our lives. We willingly submit ourselves to you today. We surrender our mind to you. We surrender our intellect to you. We surrender our understanding to you. And we just ask Holy Spirit that you would teach us today, that you would bring us wisdom and revelation like Paul prayed for in Ephesians 1. We are asking uh, to grow and to be taught and to be fed by your word today. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would transform our lives in greater measure today, uh, that you would do more in us today than you did yesterday, and that you would continue the work that you long to do in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible, uh, why don't you grab it? It's a good thing if you can grab it or you can pull it up on your phone. But we're in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read this whole prayer, and then we're going to just talk through some of the main points that Paul is trying to make in this um, bit of intercession that he makes for his friends and the church in Ephesus. So Ephesians 3, 14 to 21 is where we're going to go. All right. So Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. We're at now the the middle of this book. And 
so far, Paul has actually unpacked doctrine for the church in Ephesus. He's unpacked the, the, the big points of doctrinal understanding that they need, who God is, who we are without God, who uh, Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, the grace that we're saved by through faith in Jesus, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the reality that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. These are all the, the really big rocks of doctrine that Paul has been imparting to the church in Ephesus. And we need to understand, Paul is about to make a shift here. We're gonna move from doctrine to ethics. The last half of the book of Ephesians is the ethic of the Christian life. It's actually how we walk out our faith. But in order to walk out our faith properly, we need to understand what we need to believe in order to walk out our faith properly. And so Paul in this prayer begins this shift. Paul's first prayer of intercession for the Ephesians was in chapter one. And in that prayer, he prays that the Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and revelation for the knowledge of God. Look, Paul is saying, you need to have the revelation of the Holy Spirit to understand what's true. You need to know what's true. Doctrine is important. But here, like Paul always does, he turns the coin to this other side. And what he's about to say to us in this prayer is doctrine is one side of the coin, experience is the next one. And we're gonna just walk through that. We need to actually experience the love of Christ in order to walk out the ethic that he has for us in our life. And this becomes tricky for us to kind of grasp what Paul is aiming at. But he starts this prayer again. Uh, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Again, Paul is reasserting for us, we need to understand who God is, who the Father is. Our posture in his presence is one of humility and surrender and dependence. That's why Paul says, I kneel before him. I intentionally humble myself before God. I take my cues from the Father. I understand that there is someone who created me, who's greater than me, who has more authority than I have, who has a greater perspective than I have. And so I humble myself and I actually approach him as my father, as the one who's sovereign over all the earth. This is essential in our understanding of faith that there is someone who is greater than us. Our perceptions and our knowledge and our understanding are so limited. If we only look to each other and to ourselves, we're gonna fall short. And Paul says, first we need to understand that we need to look to the Father. And then Paul uses this statement, um, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul is coming back to this central idea of this book, and that's that we live in a spiritual world and a natural world, and the two of them are intertwined. You can't separate them. And God is, in fact, the sovereign author and creator of both, that he is in control of both, that he is our father and of the natural and of the spiritual realm. And if we try and live our life just out of the natural, we're gonna crash and burn. But if we live our life in the spiritual, totally disconnected from how we're called to walk out our faith every day, we're not gonna survive or be successful either. And so Paul is saying, look, we have to understand that the father that we look to 
is the father of the heavenly spiritual realm and the earthly realm. We can't separate the two. They're interwoven together and they impact each other. One has impact on the other. And we pray to the Father who is sovereign because we need his perspective. We humble ourselves because we recognize he has power and authority that we don't have. You know, some of you have been trying to stir up, especially in this season, like this COVID season, or with all of the unrest going on all over the world, you're trying to provoke some kind of different strength in you. You're looking internally to try and strengthen yourselves, or you're looking to the bookshelf for self-help books, or you're trying things like yoga or Eastern spiritualism or meditation to try and strengthen yourselves. And look, Paul right away would say, enough of that. You can't provide the strength in and of yourself that you need to walk through this life. That's why we need God in our life. That's why we need the Father. And so Paul is saying that our power and our strength literally come from God through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And this is the beginning of Paul's prayer. This is the the shift that Paul is about to make as we work through the prayer. And so what he prays is that... God the Father may grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power, and get this, in your inner being through his spirit. So Paul is saying, okay, now we're going to shift here. We're going to shift from knowledge and doctrine to experience. We're going to shift into something that must be lived into in order for us to be successful with the ethic the standard of the call of God that we're going to um, we're going to walk through with Paul as Paul works through the rest of the book of Ephesians, he confronts things in our lives and in our culture and all around us that are hard to walk through unless we've experienced the powerful transformative work of Jesus in our very hearts. That word "strengthened" there literally means to be strong to overcome resistance. The strengthening was to take effect by the means of the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an impartation of power through the Holy Spirit. Paul said earlier in the book that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And so it's the Father imparting power to us through the agency of the Holy Spirit, and that power is meant to strengthen first the inner man. That's where we need the strengthening. I kind of think of it like this, like, um, you know, those deep sea submersibles that go down, you know, thousands of feet to the, the, the floors of the ocean in the deepest trenches of the ocean. They, they need uh, to be ballast properly. They need to have their pressure equilibrium set properly so that the pressure inside can withstand the pressure from outside. And I believe that this is kind of what Paul is beginning to speak to. He's praying for his friends and his brothers and sisters, for Christians in Ephesus. And he's going, you need to allow God experientially to do some deep work in your heart or else when push comes to shove, when you're confronted with things all around you, you're gonna, cr- you're gonna cave, you're gonna be crushed. Clinton Arnold says it this way, in the New Testament and especially in Paul's writings, the spirit is made the explicit agent in dispensing of divine power. 
You can look at Acts 1.8, Romans 1.4, 15 and 19, 1 Corinthians 2.4, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Paul thus prays that God will strengthen his readers through the Spirit. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. That's one of his roles in our life. David said this, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. As a matter of daily life, we need to recognize where our true strength comes from. It doesn't come from your work in self-help. It doesn't come from trusting on and depending in your own intellect or skill or ability. It doesn't come from you strengthening yourself by the prevailing thoughts and ideas of culture around you. True strength comes from the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Paul says that we need to be strengthened through the Spirit. So I, I just have a basic question for you today. Where are you turning to find strength in this day? Where are you looking, you know, left to our own devices? And I'm the same. We, we turn to find strength in relationships and in relationships that we know aren't healthy that aren't God-honoring in our life. We turn to find strength in the voices of, uh, you know, a popular consensus on social media and in the news. We, we look to the news agencies to, to strengthen us and somehow give us hope or encouragement. And if you're doing that, you're almost a lost cause anyway because they're not feeding you with strength. We, we look inside and we, we try and muster strength and discipline and we, we try and sort of make our body become what it's called to be or strengthen our mind. And Paul is saying, look, true strength only comes from God. The Bible says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so the question for us is, who's strengthening you? And unless it's the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the work of God through the agency of the Holy Spirit, your strength is gonna wane. You're going to crumble and be crushed when this world caves in on you. And so Paul is saying, look, we need to recognize who and where our strength comes from. Then he goes on to say that that strengthening is in our inner being. That inner man, that's the, what Paul is literally saying is, is that personal, rational self. It's the essence of us. In, in shortest terms, it's the inner heart of man. It's that place in our life that, that guides our moral compass, that place in us that is, is um, feeding the rest of our external life. And what Paul is saying is, look, um, you don't need to like put on a show for God. It's not coming to church in a service that's gonna strengthen you. It's not doing religious duty or service. It's not serving God that will strengthen you. It's the work of a spirit in your inner person, in your inner being. Ernest Best characterizes this expression. I wanna read this quote to you. A current and indeed natural term, this is Paul using a natural term to express the moral and spiritual side in people. The inner self requires renewal, which it undergoes day by day, and thus is not synonymous with the new self. 
So what Paul is not talking about here is the new self. I'm a new creation in Christ. He's talking about that inner self that needs the daily renewal and work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The relationship between these two is best understood by seeing the inner self strengthened so that it more closely approximates the new self. You know, when you give your life to Jesus, not everything changes for the better. In fact, sometimes things get worse. When you surrender your life to Jesus, your character isn't, uh, you know, magically transformed to perfection. When we give our life to Jesus, the sinful cravings of our flesh aren't magically disappearing from us. We actually need to confront them and lean into them. And this is what Paul is talking about. You know, you can be saved by Jesus, but live for a completely different ruler and authority in your life. You can be saved by Jesus, but be deeply struggling in your character life, in your sin life, in your thought life, what you watch and what you see and how you talk to others. And this is what Paul is talking about, our need to be strengthened in this area. The result is that through faith, okay, Christ may dwell in believers' hearts, in their whole personality. And so what Paul is saying is that it takes an activation of our faith. It takes a, a living into and a walking out. Like we talked about last week in that last section of the Lord's Prayer. It takes a confrontation when we're at the crossroads of actually leaning into the purposes and the plans of God for our life, walking in purity when we have the choice to go the other way. This is what happens and is necessary for the strengthening of our inner person. It's when we act on the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the things that scare us when we step out in faith and confront stuff in our own life, or when we step out in faith and begin to lead our families in a different way and, and steward our family relationships in a different way. It's when we step out in faith in our workplace and in our communities. That's what Paul is saying. It's the activation of our faith that actually builds strength in the inner person. That word dwell that Paul uses, the Holy Spirit dwelling in our inner man literally means to settle in or to colonize or live in. And here's what I want you to get from this today. This Paul is not, okay, I want to say this very clearly. Paul is not referring to the beginning of Christ indwelling at the moment of salvation. That's not what Paul is talking about here. You, I've read so many commentaries from scholars and they are virtually unanimous on this. What Paul is not talking about is the indwelling, salvific presence of Christ in our life. He's talking about an indwelling that denotes the desire that Christ may literally be at home in or at the very center or deeply rooted in our lives. We are to let Christ become the dominating factor in our attitudes and conduct. So listen. Again, Paul's not talking about salvation. You and I, we all struggle with this. We can give our life to Jesus and then be totally ruled by our sinful nature. We can give our life to Jesus and have a thought life that is out of control. We can give our life to Jesus and be deeply wrestling with issues in our character, 
in our moral choices, in how we walk out our faith. We can give our lives to Jesus and it could look like it never happened in our everyday life, the expression of our life. And I think, unfortunately, I would put myself at the front of this line. Our churches are filled with people who may have prayed a prayer to ask Jesus to come into their life, but it has not translated in change or transformation in one iota externally. And Paul is saying, look, there's a deep work that Jesus wants to do in your heart and in my heart, in your life and in my life. And it actually needs to happen on an everyday basis where we are renewed. I'm gonna to read to you this other quote from Woost. He says, the personal presence of the Lord Jesus in the heart of the believer is not in view here. That is taken for granted. The word dwell, made up of two words sandwiched together, means to live in as a home and to settle down into and be at home in. The tense is aorist, showing a finality. The expanded translation is that Christ may finally settle down and feel completely at home in your heart. So the question for you and I is, in, is, is our inner being, our inner man or woman, our internal life a place where Jesus is at home? Or is it actually in what's going on inside that we are pushing Jesus the furthest away? Are we allowing him to do transformative work in our life? You know, if you think right now the issues are whether to wear masks or not wear masks, if you think the issues are whether to reopen the church or not reopen the church, if you think the issue is whether to follow the government or not follow the government, if you think the issue is whether to protest or not protest, you're missing the whole point of what Jesus is doing in this day. He's inviting us in this day together collectively to come back and say, Father, what is in my heart? What needs to happen in my heart, in my inner being? So there's two questions here that we got to wrestle with as we work through this prayer of Paul's. One, first, isn't the indwelling specifically the ministry of the Holy Spirit? So we can look at Romans 8 verses 9 and 10. I'll read that for you. Paul says this, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Galatians 4.6 is also Paul, says this, And because you are sons, God sent his Spirit, the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So I... <laughs> We don't totally get all of this. And I, I don't even think there's a point to us trying to like thread this theological needle of like, you know, how much is Christ and the Holy Spirit and all of this stuff. But Paul is pretty clear that in some way or in some capacity, Christ is wanting to rule at the center of our lives, at the very center of our being, the innermost part of our life. 
So if Christ through the Spirit indwells the believer, if Jesus Christ also in some way we don't understand indwells the believer, how can Paul pray as he does in this text? Wouldn't all of these things naturally be happening in their life? Wouldn't the renewal of this inner person just be an automatic thing? And it would seem that Paul is now making that shift from doctrinal to experiential. It would seem he's praying for the emotional increase or experiential expansion of what has already been a theological fact. So what is Paul doing? He's saying, you already believe. You've got the right doctrine. Now it's time to live it and to allow Jesus to confront your character in a deep way. This is how he's praying for his friends. He's saying, Father, I'm asking for my friends, for these believers in Ephesus, that they would experience your supernatural love in such a profound and such a powerful and such a real way that whatever they face in their life, whatever comes at them, whatever they're confronted with, the strength of Christ in them would be greater than the strength of what's coming against them, that their character would be refined, that they would express the fruit of the Spirit in their life. This is what Paul is praying. So his purpose in this prayer, Clinton Arnold says this, his purpose in this prayer is not only to say that the indwelling Christ is a source of strength, as true as that is, it's to say that Paul's prayer is for much more. He prays that his readers will experience more of the nearness of God through the indwelling Christ. Why would Paul pray for Christ to live in their hearts since they're already Christians? This is what Clinton Arnold says. It is clear that the readers have already put their faith in the identity and work of Christ by hearing the gospel, accepting its truth, and putting their trust in him. Paul has also repeatedly stressed that they are in Christ and they have participated with him in his new life, resurrection and exaltation. Yet here he prays that Christ may dwell in their hearts. It doesn't make sense on the surface. Clinton Arnold goes on to say, Paul indicates that the means of Christ indwelling in their hearts is through the exercise of faith. This passage and this prayer of Paul's then seems to suggest a growing experience of nearness to the Lord, but more than that, a growing experience of Christ's exercising his lordship and reign over every area of their life. The question for you and I in the what Paul is praying into is not just did you make the right theological decision in giving your life to Jesus, but is the reign and rulership of Jesus in your life increasing? Are you giving more and more ground to him? Is your character being refined by his presence? Are your choices being influenced and impacted by greater measures of his presence in your life? This is a, an honest gut check question we all have to ask. And so as Paul is turning this corner in this book, his prayer is not only that the Christians in Ephesus would know theologically and doctrinally who God is and the work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, but it would become a lived, experienced reality. We see two sides to this coin of knowledge and revelation, doctrine and understanding, then experience the lived into life that God is calling us into. So the question for you and I today as we kind of land this plane and this prayer and begin to move on in this book of Ephesians is what's happening 
in your heart? What's flowing in and through your heart today? What's going on in that innermost being of your life? Jesus said this in John 7, 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. I guess the question I'm asking myself in these days is I'm confronted with stuff on every side just like you are is what's happening in and flowing out of my life. Would my conversations be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5? Is my thought life characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Am I walking in gentleness and peace? Am I walking in self-control? Or am I actually walking in anxiety and fear and anger Am I walking in frustration? Is my life expressing something different than Jesus is actually calling me to? In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says, Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. Paul's desire for the Christians in Ephesus is that they would experience the deep transformative work of Christ in their innermost being their attitudes, their emotional life, their thought life, their inner man, their moral compass, their ethics, how they live out their faith, that it would actually look like Jesus, that when they speak, they would sound like Jesus. So the question for you and I today is would people see the fruit of Christ in us through how we talk to them, how we engage and interact with them? Would people see the evidence of the deep work of Jesus in your heart and in my heart? Paul is interceding to God on their behalf and saying, God, I want them to experience how vast and deep and wide and unfathomably rich your love is for them. Paul is talking about the love and power of God be transformative agents in their life. And his desire is that they would not only know it intellectually, but they would experience it and live it out experientially on the earth. And that's his call to us today. I want to challenge you as we close this morning. What are you walking out on your street with? What are you traveling to work with? What is the nature of your home life right now? What is the nature of your closest relationships? The desire of Jesus is that in these areas you would experience his deep transformative work. If you think the point is to understand what's happening with statistics of COVID, what the government is doing to reopen or not reopen, what your rights are or what your rights aren't, or you know what the guy beside you is doing or the woman over there is doing, you're missing the point. Jesus is challenging you and I. Are we walking with peace in the middle of the storm? 
Do we carry gentleness in all of our conversations, even with those people that sit on the opposite spectrum of the fence? Are we allowing the deep work of Jesus in our heart? I want to propose to you that there's a sequence to this and that God wants to challenge what's happening in your heart, put his finger on some stuff, and then he wants to challenge what's happening in your family and in your closest relationships. How are you walking in these ways? Is the fruit of the Spirit of God evident in your relationships? And then he wants to challenge the next ring out, your, your neighbors or your social sphere. And then he wants to challenge what's happening outside of that. So don't worry about what's happening in the world right now. Pay attention to what Jesus is asking you to confront in your own heart. And in that way, he will strengthen you as you step out in faith and begin to lean into what he's speaking to you in your own heart. He will strengthen you to walk out your faith, even in a trying time like we experienced today. Let's just pray. Father, we just recognize we don't get it so often. We can believe the right things and act in a way that is totally inconsistent with you. I pray, Jesus, that you would just bring together our believing and our acting, our doing and our thinking. That, Father, we would allow you to examine our heart in a deep way and to transform our lives in a powerful and significant way. Father, with everything going on in our world today, I just ask that your ministry of peace and hope and life would rule and reign in our hearts, that we wouldn't be swayed by fear and anxiety or the unknowns of tomorrow, but that you would give us the peace and the confidence to trust you in all things, because you are greater in us than he who is in the world, than anything we can face. And so we just ask Holy Spirit right now for our own hearts and our own life, that you would bring the conviction that is necessary for us to experience the great love and power of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today, and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.